Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Life without hope. Now that's living hell. This is what real hope looks like. This is the, the word that those hopeless people need to hear. This is the word that 3,000 people that try to commit suicide today, the 3,000 that will try to commit to tomorrow, 3,000 that will try to commit on Monday, this is the word that they need to hear is that there is hope. It's real superpower. It's hope. There's hope. Welcome to Victims and Villains. This is the show where we talk nerd, we talk hope, and we speak nothing else. I'm your host, Captain Nostalgia, and welcome to our spoiler-filled review of The Incredibles 2. This is uh, part two to our crossover with our friends over at Superhero Movie Cast. So if you guys have not done so already, please go uh, click the links in the descriptions below and go check out uh, us over on their channel and talking all about the first Incredibles. And if you guys uh, haven't seen the Incredibles yet, but want to, you know, this is going to be filled with spoilers. So uh, click pause on this. Go check out our YouTube review for it, uh, which is also going to be in the links below. Um, but if you're listening to this right now and you or someone you know is struggling with suicide, addiction, self-harm, or depression, please reach out. Suicide is currently the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. There are 123 suicides that will take place each and every day. And for every successful one of those suicides, 25 more being attempted. That's 3,075 suicides being attempted right here in our own backyard each and every day. And when we scale back internationally, there are... 800,000 successful suicides. That's one death roughly every 40 seconds. So if you or someone you know is struggling, please reach out. You guys can reach out to us on any of our social media. Links are in the descriptions below. You guys can also call the Suicide Lifeline 1-800-273-8255 or also text anonymously to 741-741 because you have value and you have worth. And I did not want you to go without knowing that or hearing that uh, that truth uh, that your life has value. So from this point on, we're talking all things in the world of the incredible too. So if you guys haven't seen it, you have been warned. But much like uh, what Ross was talking about uh, last time with the theater in Australia that accidentally played a hereditary trailer in front of Peter Rabbit, um, we're actually going to get into uh, this new story that broke on Friday. And I want to emphasize this, that uh, while this is going to be mostly clean and comfortable and somewhat deep conversation, um, for these next few moments, I do strongly advise parental advisory. Um, so this message, this will probably come with an explicit mark on it, but we're, we're sharing, we're talking about this story because it's a relevant way to raise awareness. We're not trying to point fingers or choose sides or say they're right or they're not. Um, but uh, I'm going to read this word from word. Um, so if you guys haven't figured out what we're talking about, we're talking about the um, Chloe Drastika. I don't, thought, I don't know if I'm saying that word right, her last name right, um, but her medium post and and so we're we're just gonna read this, talk a little bit about it, and give some resources, and jump into the Incredibles, two, and uh, I <laughs> promise Thomas is on the other side of my voice. I'm here. Uh, there he is. 
What's up? Not, not much. How you doing? What's up, man? Well, if you guys uh, don't want to hear about this, you guys can skip ahead to about 15 minutes, and we'll be talking about The Incredibles 2. Uh, but she does start off by saying, trigger warning, if abuse, sexual assault, or anorexia make you uncomfortable, you might want to avoid this one. Over the last, over the, the, over the years, I've attempted to write this quite literally 17 times. I've spoken to friends, therapists, lawyers, publicists. The drafts have ranged from uh, cathartic, angry letters to legitious. I don't know if that's a. I don't. I don't know if I said that right. Hardened accounts of inexcusable treatment. And so I got one piece of advice from my friends. Right from your heart. And you know it's right when it's right, so here I go. I've struggled with some great fear of talking publicly about my experience with long-term abuse. There's been a explicit danger putting my personal and professional reputation on the line. It's so easy to make judgments about someone that you don't know personally, or maybe you do know personally, but not well. It's the same both ways. Did they? Didn't they? I'm here to tell my story, not necessarily intending to point my finger at the man who did it, though that may be an unfortunate consequence for him, but for a different reason. Admittedly, there's still uh, there's still anger inside of me. Anger at him, anger at myself for letting myself fall into the trap and being naive enough to stay there. But after hours and hours of thought, I have finally come to the conclusion of what I want this to be. I want this to be two things. Number one, closure. I'm approaching my 30s, finding stability, and quite simply, I want this out of me. But more importantly, number two, a warning. Emotional abuse is a common is a very common thing, more common than you think. So here's my story. In my early 20s, I was a vibrant, goofy kid who loved video games, Doctor Who, dressing up in cosplay with my friends and karate nights. And one night I met someone at a convention and ended up falling for a man almost 20 years my senior. It wasn't the first time that I found myself in a relationship with an older man. I've always joked about my daddy issues and thought that with age comes stability and wisdom. Well, our relationship started off poorly and within two weeks, rules were quickly established. Some of these include, I quote, should not want to go out at night, end quote. My nights were... uh, expected to be reserved for him as he had a busy schedule and this alienated me from my friends i was not to have close male friends unless we worked together all photos of male friends were to be removed from my apartment and this was heartbreaking for me as my best friend happened to be a male as he was sober i was not to drink alcohol before we began dating he said i noticed you have a glass of wine with dinner that's going to stop I was not allowed to speak in public places, and she gives examples of elevators, cars with drivers, restaurants where tables were too close, as he believed that people would recognize him and were listening to our conversations. Our dinners out were usually silent and him on his phone. I wasn't allowed to take pictures of us, and eventually he softened on this rule, but he was very stern about me asking permission. These were just a few of them, and I made the choice to accept the controlling behavior as he just left his long-term girlfriend, and I assumed he was going through some serious emotional discomfort. This was a huge mistake. Our first conv- our first convention together, San Diego Comic-Con, he instructed me not to leave the hotel room. He went to parties by himself and got the famous actress's number with the intention to date her at the same time as me. I found out months later... And I couldn't bring myself to say anything because by this time, my self-worth was in the toilet. I was quickly pressured to take an on-camera job at his company. I didn't want, I did not like, I do not like to work for my significant others because, but because he uh, insinuated I would be ungrateful to not accept it. Scared to upset him, I accepted the job but refused to pay payment for the work my work feeling uncomfortable about the whole thing though the lovely folks at his company eventually forced me to take the check 
By this time, like I said, I was terrified to piss him off. So I did what he said. Including let him sexually abuse me regularly. I was expected to be ready for him when he came home from work. And how did this happen? At the beginning of our relationship, I was quite ill often due to my diet. Something I'll get into in a bit. And one night he and Cindy... One night he initiated and I said, I'm sorry, can we not tonight? I'm feeling really sick. And he responded, I just want to remind you the reason that my last relationship didn't come out, didn't work out, was because of lack of sex. It was a vile threat and I succumbed. Every night I laid there for him, occasionally in tears, and he called it starfishing. I th- he thought the whole idea was funny. To be fair, I did not go along with it out of fear of losing him. I'm still recovering from being sexually used, not in a super fun way, for three years. The first time I told him I loved him after six months of hoping he'd say it first, his response was, and I quote, I think I love you too. And it, I'm guessing that it's the word faggot because it has an F and it, it starts with an F, ends with a T, and it has four stars. So I, I'm going to say that that is, assume that's what that is. But um, she, she continues and says, but what I wanted was a partner, someone to confide in, someone to share things with, someone who wouldn't judge me, someone I knew would be there for me. What I felt that this man wanted was a woman who would feed him, sleep with him, and go to events with him. I watched and supported him as he grew from a mildly successful podcaster to a powerhouse CEO of his own company. He was obsessed with celebrity and being famous, famous people. He did not spend any of the time with people he considered friends, and she has that in quotes, and only really made time for industry people who consider quote-unquote worth it. I myself had very little personal support, as I had been alienated from my own friends. Other than an occasional party, I was obligated to leave early when he decided it was time. Sometimes he'd let me go play D&D, but I always had a curfew. He would yell in his voicemails at me if I didn't answer his calls. I was expected to follow him everywhere and exist pretty much solely for him, save for hosting a hosting job uh, once in a while. When cameras were on us, he was a prince. Turn them off, he was a nightmare. During one of my uh, during all of this, I lost myself both physically and mentally, mentally and physically. I lost 15 pounds within weeks. Started pulling out my hair and had to get extensions regularly to hide it. I generally stopped speaking unless spoken to him with him, drifting through life like a ghost. I would like I would try to sleep in late as possible so my days were shorter. I stopped listening to music entirely. I ceased to be. I was an ex-person. No one could save me but myself. And after three years of being yelled, of being snapped slash yelled at constantly, very rarely being shown affection, I finally left him for another man that I literally just met i was so desperate to be out of out i just clung to the first clung on to the first night in shining armor to show up unfortunately there was a slight crossover a kiss a kiss i immediately told him about and he surprisingly instantly forgave me turned a 180 he begged me not to leave him and he even told me he was planning to propose despite stating previous times he had no intention of marrying me I knew this all stemmed from a fear of being alone. He actually got engaged very shortly after I left him. So luckily I remained strong in my resolve to leave him despite my only only desire for three years being that he loved me the way that I loved him. Because Because of my leaving him for someone else, he made calls to several companies uh, I received regular work from to get me fired by threatened by threatening to never work with them. He succeeded. I was blacklisted with the assistance of a woman who'd gained my trust and my heart over the past year. He steamrolled my career. 
The woman actively made it her mission to destroy my friendships, and she did. Because by the time they'd realized that this was an unreliable resort uh, source, the damage had already been done. And to be fair, in breakups like this one, some friends will naturally just gravitate towards the person who wields more power and the ability to employ them. Especially in the business I'm in, despite whatever history exists. Still, there's no, there's so much more to that woman's story, including six other women whose reputation slash careers she attempted to sabotage. But I don't want to discuss the, uh, that too far from my point of view, which is abusive relationships, not friendships. This time in my life was agony. One night, I found myself on the top of an overpass looking down at the 101 at the lowest point in my life. I'd lost many of my friends. The woman I considered my sister was throwing, was trying to destroy me, and I had no idea why. And the career I had built from scratch and toppled, I was blacklisted in the, from my industry at the age of 25. Obviously, I didn't go through with it, but over the years, I've considered it many times. And with the help of a therapist, a psychiatrist, good people, plus a lot of hard work, I've managed to rebuild my life, and I'm in a much better place. I've got a wonderful group of friends, a healthy career, and a film I'm proud of, a show I'm proud of, two wonderful dogs, a house I own, a bright future, at least in my eyes. But I've never received closure for the long-lasting trauma, physical and emotional. For the first time, for, for the time I was screamed at for spilling some bottled water in a rental car, for the time I was asked if, I was, if he was okay one too many times, for the time I grasped, gasped at a cute puppy and I was punished for startling him. For how cold and unkind he was to me 90% of the time. For losing the life and friendships I'd built because of, my inse- because of his insecurities. For blaming me for leaving him when he was uh, never there in the first place except when he wanted sex. And I'll leave you with this. I've lost my period over for a year because of my anorexia. Somehow I got pregnant econ- economically, ectopocally, I don't know how to say that word. Uh, I, was th- I was told I've, I've had to have surgery immediately because ecotopic pregnancies are very dangerous and can be fatal. And when I found out, I collapsed on the floor, terrified he would be furious with me. Between sobs, I told him over the phone, please don't be mad and don't worry, I have to have surgery to have it removed or it could kill me at any time my fear of uh my fear of his anger at me for getting pregnant was quite was literally greater than my fear of death and let me add it here i'll never forget the night that this uh the night that this man slept in the cot at the foot of my hospital bed after my surgery it made me believe that deep down Maybe there was the man who loved me. After my recovery, he and my mother had was, were greeted by the doctor. The surgery went well. She'll be fine, said the doctor. Thank God, my mother. That's great. When do you think I can have sex with her again, said the ex. It was his first question. My mother never forgot. When we did together, he repeatedly shared with me he was terrified I would publicly... I would talk publicly about how he treated me, but I'm done protecting him at the expense of my own mental health. He talked about me publicly, incorrectly, sus- suspecting, speculatingly, loudly, speculating loudly and regularly that I was sleeping around on him on multiple occasions, once in front of an audience at thousands of thousands at a convention. It got so bad I ended up having to have my lawyer write him a letter. Meanwhile, publicly, I continually tried to get high, to go high, while he went low. Also, at the time, I knew I, I knew it was unlikely people would choose to believe over me over a cherry-sounding f- famous guy. All it would do to probably come forward was hurt me. And guess what? It probably would hurt me now, too, despite the Me Too movement. We've come a long way, but we still have a we still have a ways to go. You know, perhaps this post could be construct, 
construed as me going low when I should be going high, but I'd like to think I'd like to think Michelle Obama will support me in this because I'm not alone. This kind of relationship is so common and it's so easy to slip into. Normalizing behavior happens incredibly quickly and one can lose track of what is acceptable treatment. And that's the big question, isn't it? If this person treated you so badly, why did you stay? Your guesses will probably include, one, it wasn't that bad. Memories can warp. Two, he was famous. She enjoyed the lifestyle. And for the record, I usually insisted on paying for dinner. Thank you very much. Three, she was dumb or weak and or weak and didn't have the strength to stand up for himself. Four, hint, to him. Sorry. This is my story. I believe that to borrow an analogy from my friend, if I kept digging, I, I would find water. And sometimes I did. Just enough to sustain me. And when you're dying of thirst, that water is the best water you'll ever drink. When you're alienated from your friends, there's no one to tell you that drinking. there's a drinking fountain to, uh, 20 feet away. And when your self-worth reaches such depths after years of being treated like you're being worthless, you might think you deserve this sort of, that sort of treatment and no one else will ever love you. This story, post whatever this is, serves as both closure for me and as I say farewell to my 20s and stumble my way into my 30s. It serves as a warning for every single one of you, regardless of gender, and one of my favorite quotes from all from BoJack Horseman. You know, it's funny. When you look at someone through rose-colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. Please, please, please keep an eye out for those red-colored flags, signs, Former trophy girlfriend slash ghost, Chloe Dreis, however you say her her name, P.S., to the man who tried to ruin my future, a sincere and heartfelt apology could have made my last four years uh, of hell a whole lot easier. The person I used to date would try to sue me due due to pride. I would not recommend it. I have audio slash video that will support and prove many of these things stated in this post. I've chosen not to include them for your sake in hopes that the person you've become will do the right thing. And that's it. So, long-winded thing. I say all of that to say this. We've been talking about... um, We've been talking so heavily about these type of things with our series on 13 reasons why uh so we're using this as a platform if you've gone through this 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 what chloe writes about uh encourage you guys to reach out click the links in the descriptions below uh 1-800-656-HOPE or you guys can also click the links in the descriptions below and actually uh chat now via online and we also have resources um from both rain and uh and sex abuse but with that, uh, did you want to add anything on on? Um, not not too much. Like I I wasn't too familiar with the situation. I I don't follow a lot of. I mean, I I follow news, but I I'd heard bits of this. But I mean, it's yeah. I mean, I, I guess my thoughts are just it's um sad that these things continue to happen and happen more than we like to admit i think as a society and um but i think like what you're doing raising awareness of it is important so um really that's all i guess i have to say is just i think it's important to 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 be aware that this stuff is happening and and to start figuring out ways that we can reach out to support people that are experiencing sexual abuse in, in a better way and uh like like she was talking about in the post um you know about making a dialogue and and having these conversations and talking about them that's something we do encourage you guys as well because like she said we know stigma is not something that we're unfamiliar with uh in doing this podcast and so create those conversations and get them but uh now our feature presentation of the incredibles 2 so uh, I don't know how to segue into that after that. <laughs> um, but what are your thoughts, man? What, what did you uh, What did you think of this movie? Incredibles two. Um, I loved it. I thought it was great, man. It was it was um, everything I could hope for. An Incredibles sequel. Um, yeah, I saw. I've only seen it one time, so I can't necessarily say, oh, is it better or is it worse than the first one? But 
it's it was exactly what I would want and like I mentioned incredible sequel to be so it was just a really good time um a lot of a lot of great laughs a lot of great action a lot of great um character arcs um I felt like every character especially um the the, the you know the par family they all got great moments to shine um even jack jack who to me I think stole the show um and we got we got more Frozone in it. We got a cool villain. I know some people have been saying the villain isn't as great as the one in the first one, but I thought Screen Slayer was still a, a great villain. Um, but yeah, I just I loved it. I thought it was a blast from start to finish. I I agree with you. I own a lot of points. I I thought that uh, to me there there were certain elements of this movie that didn't hold up as strongly as the first one did. And and I've been thinking about this a lot since Thursday, and we're recording on Saturdays. So like I've I've given this a lot of thought. Like you know, how does it compare to the original one? And like I, I totally agree. Like Jack Jack really stole the show, and mm-hmm. I felt like this is a perfect film for this generation. Because this film is is riddled, and we we talked about this in in our YouTube review. Like this film is riddled in social commentary, and I think it's it's social commentary that is prevalent and like applicable now to us as a moving movie going audience, especially in the superhero genre. Um, you know, I I I loved the fact that uh, that this is this is an incredible sequel. But at its heart, this is an Elastigirl movie. Like that's that's mm-hmm. what I felt kind of coming out there. Like, what did you think about the the level that they kind of of spotlight that they gave Elastigirl? Yeah, I thought the same thing, and and I loved it. I um I think I was thinking about it too. I was looking after. I mean, like Mister Incredible only has two action sequences. I think in the whole movie, at the beginning and the end, he doesn't. In between, he's 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 doing dad stuff. Which I'd love though. I loved I loved on one aspect that Elastigirl got this got the chance to shine. We saw her take this the spotlight as far as being this this superhero. But then I thought it was fun to see uh, Mr. Incredible as playing the dad and having that role of like trying to step in and be a father. And so one thing that I um I, I loved though was just I, I felt like in the first Incredibles movie I never really appreciated how cool of powers Elastigirl has and I feel like this one really demonstrated just how cool she is like just the power she has and her capability to to step into that role to be like that hero in the spotlight so I I thought it was great and I agree I think this is almost like it's like Elastigirl and the Incredibles movie or so you know like it, it and I, I feel like that was the right move too. But it, it like the way that it progressed, and so I think one of the things that uh, that really elevates this film is that it has that timeless era like aspect of it because yeah. you look at the way that the to me like films that can pick up right where like literally pick up right where the uh the its its predecessor left off like to me that that gives it a timeless era uh you look at the the hobbit films as a great example um i i'm not like the biggest tolkien fan but i really appreciate that trilogy because there's a there's a sense of timelessness to it and even not being like that big of a lord of the rings fan i've seen the lord of the rings enough because of my wife uh to recognize the that there is genius in that filmmaking. Like it, it feels, it feels, uh, you know, timeless. And, and same from like, you know, you, that rooftop scene in, in Batman begins going into the dark night, you know, it, it sets up and this one literally. So you got to actually experience the, the undermire, which the first time I watched the, the, the Incredibles, I always thought he was such a dumb villain. Yeah, but they really <laughs> they really elevated him and made him, you know, a cool villain for this opening sequence. Doesn't he get away too? And they don't ever catch him in this movie. Yes. Yeah, I I just realized that I was like they'd actually never caught him. <laughs> um, yeah, and I and it kind of reminded me of like even Force Awakens and Star Wars: the Last Jedi. Those just take place back to back too. You know, it's like a, and that was kind of 
but at the same time, I felt like the last Jedi differentiated itself well, a lot from the force awakens. Some, some argue too much, but I, I felt like Incredibles two did the same thing is like, it, it didn't repeat the same thing as the first one, but what it did do that I felt like was for me at least was crucial is carried over like the feeling of this is a family movie. It's a movie about a family and it's also about a, you know, the marriage between Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl, which I mentioned on our show, my show last week when we talked about this, that's one thing I love is like that it depicts like a realistic couple that have problems that they, they fight sometimes they, uh, they get jealous of each other sometimes. And this movie carried that over. I loved how like Mr. Incredible would, you know, he's sitting at home. He's the one that wants to be out there in the spotlight, you know, being the superhero fighting crime. But he's he's taking one for the team. He's take, sitting back, letting his wife take the spotlight. And inside, it's kind of killing him. And I love how, like, he has that moment of vulnerability with his kids when he just loses it. And I think to me, as a, as a, as a husband and as a father, like, that was really important to me. Because I feel like a lot of times as dads, we're expected to just always be strong. And always to not, like, let our kids, let our, let our family see the struggles we have. And I love that moment where he just was like basically saying this is like, I, this is so hard. Being a dad is hard. I don't know how your mom does it type thing. And, and then the kids to kind of give him that validation, like, no dad, you know, we love you. Thank, you know, thanks for all you're doing. I, I, I thought that was one of my, that was one of my favorite moments in the film. So uh, to that point, I also think that there's a scene with him in particular where Helen calls him and She's telling him about, like, you know, she's checking in on the family, and he's, like, he's going around, and he's, like, lying, like, telling these little white lies about the family and the date and the homework and Jack-Jack, and she's telling him about how she just saved this this plane or the, the train and mm-hmm. uh, you're just, he's, like, he's, like, going through, like, all the news channels, and he's just... Like, you can just see, like, his, like, dissatisfaction and jealousy, and he's holding the phone up, and just like, uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great, and I think that's, like, it, it's, um, I don't know, I feel like that's that's a relatable thing, I think, for for a lot of guys sometimes. It's like, as, as, as men, we're, our culture, our society has always brought it up to be, like, we should be the ones to get all the attention, the spotlight the women just stay back and, and do everything behind the scenes. They, they, they stay at home with the kids and everything. And I'd like that this kind of is flipping this around and it's like, and by the end of the movie, Mr. Incredible is kind of finally like accepting that plan and he's okay with it, but it takes him a while to actually like get used to it. Yeah. And, and I think that too, like I, I brought up the, the fact of uh girl being center spotlight is, is something for this generation because you look at the way that we've approached the genre of superheroes in the past. It's always been your Batman. It's always been your Superman. You know, those are those are two well-toned white guys that you know, for the most part, are generally the most recognizable people. Granted, we've we've had other things like Iron Man and and Thor and and every everything else, like you know, thanks to the MCU. But for the most part. <laughs> Just about every every type of entry into the genre has been white males. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until last year with Wonder Woman and this year with Black Panther that we've really started to see a change in the way that we've uh, been approaching these type of movies because, guess what? These films are good. These films are great and are, are I would dare say, like Wonder Woman and Black Panther are modern comic book masterpieces they're so good and i think that you know uh that with putting elastigirl up on spotlight and, and getting her to bring in her depth because i felt like in the first one that they kind of didn't really do too much with her character like she was just a mom who was stretchy and it was kind of like a gimmick but here you kind of really got to see how awesome and and just just how awesome she really is. And I think that that was one of my favorite parts walking out of this film and really made me enjoy this film was because it had brought more depth to this 
mythology, but you also got to kind of re-experience a a new hero for the first time. It almost felt like too. Yeah, no, totally. It, yeah, it did. And I, I, I um, kind of going back to like in, in the first movie with her, like it's, I, I think she does, she, she does that a lot. I mean, she comes and rescues Bob and, and with the kids and everything. And there's that, that, but, and I, I think in a sense, I think she does enjoy being a mom. I don't think like she's ever like, there's not ever like a thing of like where she's like resentful to, to Bob about that. But at the same time, she is willing and capable of doing more. And in this film, she's, re, she's required to in a bit in the beginning before it's even an option for her to become this, like the, the head superhero of this, you know, they're trying to rebrand superheroes in a sense. And she's even willing to let Bob take a break from working because she knows that he doesn't enjoy going to a nine to five job. And to me, that just speaks even more to her character that she's willing to sacrifice staying home with her kids, something she something that's hard, but she probably finds a lot of satisfaction in to go out and to get a job so that her husband can have a break. And to me, that just like speaks to what an awesome character she is and and what a strong woman is that she is able to, to, to fill that role of being a mother, being a stay home mom, which, you know, if women choose that, that is amazing. And that, that is a really hard job. I mean, a lot of people don't like to call it a job and it is a job, but it's, but at the same time, women should be able to have that option to go out and pursue a career or do something like she ends up doing in this movie. And I love that that explored that the both sides of it. Yeah, I I really really enjoyed that, and um, I'm kind of curious. Like, what did you think about like uh, because with with a female hero in this one, we also got a female antagonist in Screenslaver, which happened to be the uh, this the sister of uh, the I can't remember the guy's last name, the company that they end up working for, and to me, like, I kind of thought it was predictable. I don't know why. Yeah. Like I I felt like it was predictable and it 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 was kind of a like I the way that they handled the villain in this I felt like was really smart up to the reveal. Like I felt like the reveal just came way too quick. Yeah, I it's funny as soon as the sister cuz she you meet her brother first who's played by Bob Okerin, I think is his name, which I don't know if you ever watched Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, he plays the lawyer in that show anyways he's i really love him as an actor i think he's great and uh so anyways as soon as she walks in she's kind of like disheveled comes in late to the meeting i knew immediately like there was something she wasn't just the sister you know i mean she was a scissor but there was more to her character and but then i kind of forgot about it um and then as soon as the screen slayer like is caught and you realize that it's the pizza guy and it's not the real screen slayer, like I, I, you know, I knew immediately that, that was her. And I think, yeah, I don't know the reveal. I'm not sure how else they could have done it, but I agree. It, it did f- fall a little flat because it, maybe it was just too predictable. Um, and they were trying to make it seem like it needed to have this big twist to it that it was a little bit less satisfying. I don't know if that was it or if it just, if there maybe could have been a, a more effective way for them to do it. I don't know. So, well, like I felt like, uh, you know, because the first kind of this like grand year, uh, time that you see her, you, you know, she's controlling the, she's controlling this, this like hover train that they, they just instilled. And, she gets the cryptic message, you know, welcome back, Elastigirl, sign the screen slaver. And then you have the interview and like you, you just have these like little moments that she just randomly pops up. And to me, like that's really what made me interested. And even from a character like design point of view, I love the, the design that they went with for this character. But I feel like when they kind of started when she when she revealed her motivation, it felt almost to me like it was that scene, this scene from The Incredibles where Mr. Incredible finds out the syndrome is Buddy. Like mm-hmm. to me, I I just I would like I would have liked a different like motivation for a villain or something new or maybe even had the Underminer be your main villain because like the motivation it just kind of felt like a rehash to me just you know, different day, new shoes kind of thing. 
Yeah, I mean, I get that. I I did like that, like the backstory of her parents, like how her dad was so dependent on superheroes and that her mom, you know, was willing to go hide in the bunker when the people broke in. And and I to me, I I guess like the way I, I took that is like, yeah, we shouldn't always just wait around for people to save us, you know. But at the same time, that doesn't mean people that do go out and do that are bad, you know, and she kind of jumps to this conclusion that they're they're bad. And like she and her brother have this different ideology about it of him being praising and worshiping superheroes like her like their father, where she was went the opposite extreme. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like while that is great motivation, it does seem a bit extreme for her to go to such great lengths to actually try to to you know frame the superheroes and to try to eliminate them and to go to such lengths to 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 actually like murder and to do all the you know commit all these crimes that she ends up doing so i actually read this article uh today on on comic book resources that was talking about this that uh it was something like the headline is like why uh the the incredibles 2 villain why the plan seems so familiar. <laughs> and it was from another Disney movie, Iron Man 3. I mean... Mm, oh, yeah. <laughs> you had you had this British guy that Ben Kingsley's character, who was the quote-unquote Mandarin, but the twist of it was is that it was really Audrey and Killian who was who was the Mandarin. Here you have the same exact thing with the pizza guy and the screen, the, the sister. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it, it, it kind of is pretty similar to what Iron Man 3 did. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I liked the balance. I just wish that they would have done more with the villain because I feel like yeah. with you really could have had a terrifying villain because you look at like the scene where she's trying to save the uh the like the legal lady, like I can't remember what what she was, but the ambassador. the ambassador, yeah, yeah. So like that scene where you're seeing how like you know these airplanes and these cars and all of these things are run so much so by like technology and the internet and Wi-Fi and satellites. Like how far we've come as a as a culture to be this technologically advanced beings like to me like if you can hack into that that's that's terrifying to be a villain but again like they it was a missed opportunity i felt like yeah there's a lot like they if they could have done with their her power or powers or capabilities yeah that kind of once the reveal happens it kind of just like that whole part of it just falls flat there's not much to it and like i've never really been the biggest fan of like superheroes being brainwashed or characters being brainwashed to become like these mindless henchmen of the villain kind of like honestly kind of like what loki does to hawkeye in the first avengers film or like what happens to frozone and the rest of these new heroes i think it i mean at the end of the day i'm not too critical of it just because it it works it creates some good action sequences like of I love the action sequence when they come to the home and Frozone and the kids are trying to defend themselves. That was that was a cool action sequence. It did showing the different powers. And also like it was fun when once Mr. Incredible and Frozone Elastigirl, you know, like are are rescued from their kids and they can take they had they fight against these other heroes. That was a lot of fun too because honestly, most superhero films, and this is something that I feel like the only the only movie that I can think of that does something similar to this is a, a Captain America Civil War where you've got multiple heroes fighting each other at the same time. But I guess what I'm trying to say is like we've never seen this a superhero team versus a vil- a team of villains go head to head um in in a big superhero movie really. Like it's usually like the heroes versus one or two villains. And that's something I'm like still wanting to see at some point. And this was kind of like a small glimpse of that, so I did like it, but at the end of the day I felt maybe it would have maybe been cooler if she had her own entourage of like supervillains. Like the Underminer came back, or you know, maybe she recruited some like old villains from the old days of superheroes that they all teamed up rather than just brainwashing other people to I mean, I, I mean it goes with her power, but I guess to what I'm trying to say is like that's not always my favorite angle to take with these characters. 
All right, so to be fair about the heroes versus villains, like, fighting scene, if DC ever finally gets their, like, show on the road and they, they take what they did in the Justice League post credit scene and expand that, we might get a oh, yeah. Justice League versus Legion of Doom, which would be awesome. Oh, be, that would be amazing. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's so much potential for it, and it's, it surprises me that no one's done it yet, you know? like Especially, like, X-Men. X-Men could do amazing stuff with that. They've got the Brotherhood of the Evil Mutants or whatever their, their name is now. Like, they could do some awesome stuff with it. So, anyway, that's a, I guess that's a conversation for another time. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Like, uh, there, were, there were different things about the, the villain that kind of once that reveal happened, it just it, it kind of fell to the wayside. Like, I felt like the first, two, the first couple acts of this film were, like, really strong. And it... it like it still had great sequences and great moments, but the third act kind of just was just there, almost. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, it was still, it's still like it doesn't deteriorate from the movie. But uh, kind of coming back to uh, Elastigirl, I really, and again, I really enjoyed the 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 centership that that she had. I felt like she had some some great moments. This to me kind of felt more like in the so I felt like with this film some of the comedy in it wasn't as strong as the first film but when it was strong it was strong yeah. because of him he had some of the best mm-hmm. moments and I think the one scene in particular that I fell in love with him was the the scene where Bob's asleep on the couch and he's watching the movie and he looks out and he he. He sees this raccoon, and he looks at the TV again, and, he, and he, the robber on the movie that he's watching has like these this like black bandana around his eyes, and he thinks that the robber is the raccoon, and vice versa. And he goes out, and you just kind of see him get to fully expand his uh, his powers, and I loved it. I, I, yeah. thought, I just thought it was one of the funniest scenes uh, in the film, and. One thing that I thought was really too was was um, another moment that he had in the film was the scene where he was with uh, Edna and uh, she was like, "After Bob, you know, Bob had just come back to after you know seventeen hours of being away or a day or so, and uh, you know, just this kind of like relationship that they had, like." He was like big man on campus, and I just thought it was hilarious. Uh, just the the kind of relationships that they they brought to uh, very briefly in this film. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it was, yeah, there was. I, I like how you said the humor though. Like it, it, sometimes it was like really strong. Sometimes not. It maybe wasn't quite as strong as like the first one. To me, it kind of reminded me of like Guardians of the Galaxy in Volume Two. Like Volume Two had some really high highs, like as far as laughs go, but then it had some pretty flat moments as well. Whereas the first one for me was pretty consistently just like hit the mark. Um, but um, but yeah, the stuff with Edna was great. I I I would have loved to see more of her just because she's such a a fun character. Um. But yeah, like her, her being just so like when she find out what Jack Jack could do, his powers, her just like being so excited to to take care of him and, and to create this suit was was a lot of fun. And I also liked how she was jealous that like Elastigirl had gotten like an upgraded suit. And uh, also it was fun too how like she even points out with her suit that like the they went for this more like dark, edgier look rather than more like the vibrant colors that you see like in like a, a comic book itself or in, in, in compared to what they wore in the first one too. Not that I, I don't like those like darker edgier looks in a, in a comic book or in a costume, but it just was, I thought that was funny that they actually like brought that up in the movie. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed that too. And so with Jack Jack too, one of his powers that you had, you talked about was uh, that he, he could enter into like, he could enter dimension. Um, like he could go between dimensions and right. I don't know. Like I like thinking about it. Like after this, the credits rule, I was like, that's a really cool like Easter egg to have. Maybe they set up for like an interdimension villain for part three. Yeah. Or maybe he's able to go into other dimensions and team up with the 
the Marvel characters or, or but I don't know if they'd go that far, but maybe like the big hero six or something like that. They could do a crossover with that other superhero thing that Disney already has, but that, which isn't Pixar, but still Disney. So yeah, but I mean, that would still be pretty sweet. I would, it would, it'd be awesome. I'd love to see that. But I don't know. I mean, they, uh, that you look at the, they showed the, the trailer for, uh, Wreck-It Ralph two before our showing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, one thing there's a there's a place in there where it's called like oh my disney and they have like star wars characters and marvel characters and the disney princesses so like they've already started kind of bringing that world into here i'm pretty sure that some of those worlds are going to be in kingdom hearts 3 so it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to introduce those characters in to a part three of the incredibles yeah which would be it'd be that'd be a lot of fun. I feel like that'd be a, like a, a natural way to, to potentially do it, and and they could even Jack Jack could be a little bit older, maybe like a toddler at that point or something. I don't know, <laughs> um, but but yeah, it would be it would be kind of cool to see something like that. So, um, one thing I wanted to just bring up real fast is I thought that I read this article that basically was saying that Brad Bird is the best superhero director there is right now. And while I don't necessarily like, I completely agree with that because I think the Russo brothers are phenomenal. Patty Jenkins did an awesome job with Wonder Woman. There's other people that are doing great superhero films. Uh, Ryan Coogler, Black Panther again. But um, what I did thought, what I do think though was is really cool about that comment though is just how like he's able to take an animated movie and make it as and and a kids movie, the movie that's you know targeted for kids and families, and make it as entertaining as something you would see like in the MCU uh, as far as like comedy character, character work action, like the action in this movie is, is great. Like there's, you know, it's as good as you would see in any other like live action superhero film, if not better than some. And so I think I just, I think that's a really great compliment to Brad Bird as a director. And I know he's done some live action. He did the mission impossible um, rogue not not Rogue Nation, but Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol, which I thought was a, a really great action film, and so it's like I would love to see him take take on a superhero film. Whether that's like if he ever did Superman, I think that would be amazing. I would love to see him do a Superman or or something like that, just because I think he's got so much talent to as far as balancing all the the different elements that make a really great superhero film. I don't know. Like I I talked about this in our YouTube video. Like I I would like to see him take on fantastic for because yeah. he's already proven that he can balance the amount of characters you know he might even be good for a justice league film um you know just kind of throwing that out there like i i would greatly like to see him kind of take on a role <laughs> like that uh but yeah i i don't necessarily agree that he is the the best one but i will say that he is a a smart filmmaker because going back and rewatching the incredibles it's a very sophisticated, very mature kids film. Whereas in this one, I felt like it, I could see that like it, it repeated the process, the same one that the, the first one did taking on, uh, you know, themes of, of, of family and technology and addiction and, uh, you know, men versus women and, and equality and stuff like that. So like, I felt like he took on some very serious topics in this one as much as, you know, the first one as, as much as he did in the first one, this one just has a lighter tone to it. It's not as dark and you don't have that villain that is just super dark. Um, mm-hmm. but I, uh, I'm, what did you guys think of the Incredibles, uh, to write a comment below and let us know. Leave a tweet us on Twitter at Victims and Villains or uh, write to us on Facebook at Victims and Villains as well. But on a scale of a one to five, what would you give this? Um, I think I would give it a four out of five. Um, whereas, like with you know, yeah, I, the first one it's it's really close to like that five, maybe like a four point five. But it's right up there for five. So this is like right around a four. Like I, I really loved it. I thought it was great. It was a great sequel. And not every sequel has to be better than the first one, which I think a lot of times we get caught up thinking it needs to be. Um, and if it's not, then it's a failure. Like I, I think this is a really solid sequel. A lot of 
Um, great, great action, great humor, like we mentioned. And it's, it just makes me more excited for them to potentially do more. And we talked about on my show last week, like we're, it's like, we've got three cars movies and we're now 14 years later, just getting a second Incredibles. I hope we don't have to wait another 14 years to get an Incredibles three, because like, and I was reading to the box office is supposed to be the highest opening for an animated movie, like 170 million domestic. So like, that's huge. That should give Disney and Pixar enough confidence to get Bradbury to jump on and do another Pixar or another Incredibles film soon. So yeah, I, I give it a, a solid four. I'm going to go 4.5. I felt like the action in this was great. I felt like the animation in it was a lot more crisp. It, it still balanced the, the, the strong themes of family and marriage and uh, equality and technology, like they they balanced a lot of themes very smartly, very brilliantly is what I meant to say. And I just, but there and you had two background characters from the first one in Elastigirl and Jack Jack steal the spotlight on this one. A uh, little bit of a weaker villain and a little bit of less comedic moments, but still is probably one of the best films that I have seen in theaters this year. Um, definitely recommend seeing this. It's it's a fun time, and it's it's a it's a film that will just steal your heart because I, I felt like there was a lot of moments, um, that just melted my heart. But if you're listening to this right now and you or someone you know is struggling with suicide, addiction, self harm, or depression, please reach out. Suicide is currently the tenth leading cause of death in the United States. There are a hundred and twenty three suicides that'll take place each and every day, and for every successful one of those suicides, twenty five more being attempted. That's three thousand seventy five suicides being attempted right here on our own backyard each and every day. And when you scale back internationally, there are eight hundred thousand successful suicides. That's one death roughly every forty seconds. So if you or someone you know is struggling, please reach out. You guys can reach out to us on any of our social media. Links are in the descriptions below. You guys can also call the Suicide Lifeline one eight hundred two seven three eighty two fifty five or also text anonymously two seven four one seven four one. But where can people find more on Superhero Movie Cast? So you can find us um, pretty much anywhere online. You can go to our website, supermoviecast.com. You can go to Facebook, Instagram. Um, we have You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us there. Um, but yeah, we're, we're there. We talk superhero films like this. Um, Josh and I teamed up last week to do the first Incredibles. So if you want to hear our, both of our thoughts on that, go go back and check that out. But we, we usually try to tie in a few of like inspiring themes that we find from these movies but yeah so it's it's a lot of fun so definitely check us out if you haven't done so already all right and we'll be back this friday talking with uh a roanoke virginia band called the gaffer project we're leaving you guys this week with our friends from florida this is beggars this song is called cashmere and until next time remember to keep talking nerds talking hope and speaking nothing else we'll see you guys next time Still I